0: Research and development is key to technological growth, but this investment isn't cheap. Industry and universities play an integral role, partnering together to develop ideas and skills, turning concepts into reality. In this episode, recorded from the recent Times Higher Education Debate, host Jack Grove discusses the importance of STEM, business and university collaboration, and the challenges and opportunities this presents. Joining him are a distinguished panel of guests from the Institute of Physics, Nottingham University, the National Centre for Universities and Business, and Huawei London. Over to you, Jack.
1: Good afternoon. Uh, My name is Jack Grove. I'm a reporter at the Times Higher Education covering research, and I'm very pleased to introduce our next panel. Uh, It comes at a very interesting time. We've just had the Queen's speech yesterday in which the um, promise was repeated for the fastest ever rise in public R&D spending. However, however, while that uh, promise might be exciting, two thirds of R&D taking place in the UK um, actually comes from industry and universities and industry work very closely together often uh, in this area. So we want to explore a few of these issues with our, our panel. We have um, Lewis Barson, Director of Science, Innovation and Skills from the Institute of Physics, uh, which uh, represents uh, more than 23,000 members in the UK. Rosalind Lowe, Head of Policy and Engagement from the National Centre for Universities and Business, uh, which has more than 35 years of experience in supporting collaboration between universities and industry. Uh, we also have Jessica Corner, for uh, PBC for Research and Knowledge Exchange at the University of Nottingham. And to conclude, we also have Joey Pan, the Director of Industry and Public Affairs at Huawei, the uh, Chinese global uh, telecoms and technologies uh, power. It actually spends more than £3 billion on R&D every year, employing about 170,000 people, including uh, some researchers in the UK. So I'm just gonna start us off, um, starting with uh, Lewis, if if you don't mind. Um, We're gonna be talking about academic industry collaboration. And I just like to sort of find out a little bit from uh, each of the panelists, uh, if What sort of ideas are out there at the moment that you're quite excited by? and we've, Last year we had the R&D roadmap, which sort of fleshed out some ideas and uh, comments were solicited from the sector. And I just wondered, Lewis, what were some of the things, or maybe one or two things that you thought were really interesting and might help build on some of the, the good work that's going on at the moment?
2: Thanks very much, uh, Jack. Uh, it's a great pleasure to be here. Um, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm Director of Science Innovation Skills at the Institute of Physics um, with the Learner Society and Professional Body for the UK and Ireland. Uh, so, great pleasure to be here to discuss some of these big issues to the economy and uh, society. It's yeah, worth mentioning that before I joined the Institute, I spent more than 10 years uh, in Bays working in and around innovation and technology policy. So, I've got a bit of uh, insider knowledge, uh, perhaps, of some of these issues um, as well. So maybe first, just to start by saying, you know, why is physics perspective relevant here? Well, I think it's probably because physics and the deep tech physics businesses uh, represent one of the biggest engines for economic growth uh, that we have in the UK. Um, you've talked about a few big numbers. Let me just uh, mention a few of ours. So GVA-wise, physics-based businesses in the UK uh, make a 177 billion GVA contribution. That's about 16% of the UK GVA, about 10% of GDP. Uh, very large numbers. Uh, employing more than two million people. Um, that's about seven percent of total employment. Uh, highly productive. Around ninety thousand a year in value add. um, and uh, growing. So GVA contributions are growing on around three uh, percent year on year. Um, so it might be a bit surprising on the face of it, but if you think about it in context, in really broad strokes, you know each of our industrial ages um, have really been underpinned by physics, uh, from you know the first industrial revolution right through to the digital revolution which is about miniaturization semiconductors quantum uh devices and so on um and of course all of this has been delivered in partnership with engineers and uh, other scientists right across the spectrum um but physics has a really major economic uh, contribution so in terms of the r d roadmap i think it was really really well received um uh, and there's some great stuff in there. It talks about all the right things. Talks about the levers that need to be pulled together if we're to realise the bigger impact uh, from the exciting overall commitment. Um, but I think a couple of areas we might want to focus on in terms of uh, development uh, coordination. Uh, perhaps is a bit of an issue we need to focus on. Um, so within physics, uh, for instance, you know there's a massive and broad-based contribution, um, but we need to make sure that's joined up and coordinated to uh, be achieving the right kinds of value in the economy and society. Uh, So we and the Institute are looking at, uh, we've announced we'll we'll establish a deep tech uh, leadership commission uh, to help better coordinate um, uh, all the various actors from across the the physics community, across academia, government, uh, business, uh, the third sector, financiers, uh, the whole gamut. And that will be looking at setting more of a common purpose and coordination across the landscape, foresight for long term investments, spotting some of those technology trends uh, that are coming up we might need to focus on. thinking about translation uh, alongside a big focus on skills um, uh, throughout the economy because of course none of this is possible without a strong pipeline of skilled people to to put it through Um, so I coordination is probably the first the first big issue and skills is perhaps the second Uh, you know we we know there's a crucial uh, shortage of of stem skills around forty thousand stem graduates in the uk shortfall each year Um, And that's particularly true uh, in in physics. Um, And it's not just um, at that level. It's, of course, a systemic issue, um, perhaps a wicked issue. We need enough people coming through the school system to have these skills uh, to then go out into the workforce and and deliver. And at the moment, there's an acute teacher shortage um, in physics. Um, The DFE believe we should be creating about 1,000 specialist physics teachers a year if every school in the country is to have a specialist. Currently, we only have about 600. So there's a big um, job ahead there. And that's important not just in terms of the overall numbers of skills but also in the diversity pipeline of those skills we want that skills pipeline to be representative um and if, if there isn't a specialist in every school in the country that's going to bake in um issues of distribution right at the outset so we feel that's incredibly important to tackle uh, and there's probably two of the major focuses that we're, we're working on coordination and skills
1: okay excellent could i come to Rosalind next please um i just wondered you you coordinate a huge array of um Activities across many universities, uh, and uh, you know some of the the companies are are really successful, and it, it's uh, perhaps one of the unsung success stories of uh, UK HE. But um, you know, how what would you like to see happen in terms of policies to sort of take this to the next level? Of course, awesome.
3: and thank you for the invite as well, Jack. I think. Just in terms of framing my answer, I think what I just wanted to pause and, and think about for a minute is, the, is, is it actually what the 2.4% target is aiming to achieve. On the one hand, of course, the 2.4% target is in part about um, responding to a, a long period of time of underinvestment in research. And at NCUB, we've estimated that if the UK had been investing at the OECD average for the last 10 years, research would have benefited from an additional £44 billion of in investment. And surely that additional investment would have led to new breakthroughs in, in science, in technology, in medicine, in energy, and would have benefited our economic and industrial base. But I think what's important is that 2.4% is not just about a tweak to the total level of research spending in the UK. It's actually quite a fundamental reset of the baseline of spending. And it quite fundamentally refocuses the UK economy more towards research-intensive and innovation-led activities. And I'm sure that in this discussion, we'll go on to what that requires and and the private investment it requires and the public investment that it requires. But I think the plan for growth, the integrated review, the Queen's speech – all make very, very clear that research and innovation is central to both the UK's domestic economic strategy, as well as for its its global aspirations and its global ambitions. So what I think is really important in the roadmap, and what I also really hope is reflected strongly in the the innovation strategy, is this um, sort of recognition that refocusing the economy requires quite holistic change across a lot of different areas. Research and innovation is affected by many different factors, as, of course, is whether a business decides to invest in R&D, and that ranges from the availability of skills to the the availability of data, buildings, uh, labs, resources, regulation, tax, funding. Um, So it's not just about public funding. It's not just about how you structure public funding or how you can leverage private investment. There are so many different factors um, that are very important, and I, I very much echo Lewis's comments on uh, particular need for coordination. So what I find really interesting in the roadmap is that it calls on us to engage in new imaginative ways to ensure that our research and innovation system is responsive to the needs and aspirations of our society and of our economy. And I think if you're sort of asking for what steps we want we need to take in order to get there. I'm sure that there are, there are many that we will come on to in this call. But last autumn, NCUB led a, a very large piece of work, working with university and business leaders um, through a task force and an array of advisory groups to really consider how different aspects of the um, aspirations of the roadmap could be met through greater partnerships. And there are three areas in particular that I thought would be kind of useful to pull out at, at this stage of the discussion. The first relates very much to the coordination points. It's about the need for a joined up business focused offer that really reflects on all of the different factors that impact on a business's decision on whether or not to invest in R&D and then also where to invest in R&D. So it needs to be a combined offer from government that considers trade, education, um, the fiscal levers that can be deployed, the regulatory levers that can be deployed. And this isn't a simple ask because it stretches beyond the remits of budgets and government departments. The second area, um, education, but also importantly, quite a fundamental rethink of um, the R&D workforce. And that's not just the researcher workforce, but the need to quite fundamentally understand what businesses need uh, in in terms of talents and competencies to deliver a 2.4% economy but also what the education system needs to look like so that people can genuinely participate in, in what will be a, a quite a different, new fo- a different focus for
1: the economy going forward. Great. Thank you. Jessica, uh, can I come to you? Uh, Nottingham does a lot of uh, great work and has sort of established itself as a bit of a, a sort of pioneer in some respects in this area. Um, what would you like to see from the innovation strategy that uh, has been mentioned and and, and, how, and how would that sort of build on some of the work that you've been doing?
4: Yeah, thanks, Jack. And of course, yeah, as you say, um, Nottingham was one of the, you know, came out one of the, the, the top institutions in terms of working with business in the recently published Kef framework results. So we were very proud to do that. And it is very much part of the way we organise ourselves at the University of Nottingham. I wanted to... Um, Take a, a step back for a minute, though, perhaps before I sort of answer your question directly, um, and and it kind of leads on from Rosalind's comments, I think, in that, you know, um, we have we have this grand ambition for the two point four percent economy and it, it, uh, investment in R and D and an R and D led um, economy. We're all absolutely behind that, but I guess the events of the last year and in particular the last months. Um, We've you know there's been a sort of shaking of that of of the infrastructure um as a result of that, and also um it's exposed the fragility of elements of it um and and particularly in uh, well obviously r and d investment from industry but also in terms of universities and um how all our work was actually happening and funding and underpinned and that cross subsidization of um of research and innovation from other things that um wasn't particularly visible before but has been you know dramatically exposed in the last year and although we've worked all worked incredibly hard to kind of recover that position um it's exposed all sorts of fragilities that are going to have to be uh, addressed if we're going to meet that requirement and deliver the outcomes. so that's one side of things um and then i think the other side of it is yes there's some exciting things that we could do um and in nottingham we're very interested in the um the concept of the innovation clusters um which was certainly uh, brought forward out of the um the report that rosalind was mentioning and i was on one of the advisory committees for for that work um and what so what we're trying to do at nottingham is is to bring all our capabilities together um particularly for the moment around for example zero carbon and um electrification of transport and some of those areas um and really think about end-to-end um your fundamental research discovery through to innovation through to working through with industry, creating facilities where um, businesses can come and test things out, try things out, uh, draw on our expertise to innovate into their own systems, Um, think about supply chains and the local companies, regional companies that are involved in the supply chains that are going to need to transform themselves in order to sort of uh, address the zero carbon agenda, but kind of cluster that all in one area and use all our efforts to to, to do that Um, and I think that's where some really exciting um, very significant developments will happen which but will also um, both sort of stimulate local regional national um, economic recovery and development um, and secure industries for the UK to deliver to those agendas for the future and I think universities actually can be really at the heart of, of sort of enabling some of that and um i don't know how visible that is um at the moment to to government so perhaps we just need to do a bit more to make that that the the opportunity clear while also saying actually are you sure we're going to get the two point four percent um because otherwise we're not really going to be on the road at all
1: yeah well there's quite a few things in there i'd like to sort of come back to uh, uh joey can i just come to you please because Obviously, Huawei has come from being a, a startup to an absolute giant of R&D spending, uh, three billion pounds a year, and having a huge army of researchers. In terms of the UK, what 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 can governments do to help Huawei invest and and technology companies like Huawei? Uh, how could they be encouraged to increase your commitment to uh, R&D.
5: Thank you. Thank you, Jake. Uh, this is a very interesting question. Again, the international companies like Huawei are attracted to the scale clusters and the center of excellence wherever they are located in the world. So UK technically is a science and the technology superpower because it has some of the world's the uh, universities, some of the best minds, the academic freedom and the, the openness to collaborate with industry uh, internationally is essential. So as we all know that the international collaboration strikes up research quality and increase the impact of the work from the researchers. So Huawei has been collaborating with the UK Academy for last 10 years and has built up a strong partnership with the leading universities, for example, like uh, Cambridge, uh, like uh, Imperial, Surrey, or Edinburgh, etc. Et so um, yeah, we have a, an R&D framework which ensures that we can operate with transparency and ensures the uh, academic freedom is not impacted. <laughs> Follow the international best practice of how we conduct our R&D collaborations and uh, uh, also with the academia globally. We are very proud of our academic partnership framework and we definitely agree with Lord Johnson's comments that we want to champion the academic freedom uh, in UK and other regions. So um, I think uh, another factor uh, that impact companies to invest in UK's academia is driven by the public investments in RD. They recognize that the UK is commitment um, to uh, committed to innovation and growth into RD. Our UK government seems um committed to the 2.4% goal by 2027. Uh, interestingly, to bring forwards the exact RD event in the in China, uh, in proportion to GDP. However, we must never fail to remind ourselves that the 2.4 target is merely a stepping stone to the Lisbon's 3%, uh, which was also mentioned by Professor uh, Anton Moscatelli earlier in his speech. And that 3% is a target set for, for more than 20 years ago to be achieved in 2010. I think we are short of delivering that uh, objective. So 2020 has been a challenging year uh, for the entire world. world. And uh, I think the UK businesses and the universities have been hugely impacted. Yet this year has also showcased uh, to the world how well the UK industry and the universities can work together. Uh, research and the development will be critical to the economic and the growth and recovery from the impact of the COVID-19. enabling us to build a greener, a healthier and more resilient UK. Also, uh, we can see that there have been a number of the uh, uh, changes to propose legislation regarding to the investment into strategic sectors business needs a predictable policy environment to make long-term future investments and also it is very important to keep the channel open between the government and uh, the academia and also the industry so we understand the standing from each other make sure we address the concerns from each other and we make a better effort thank you
1: okay thank you thanks for your uh, interesting perspective from Huawei. Um, I'd like to come back to some of the the themes that were raised in by a panellists in the first round of contributions, maybe around this issue of coordination, because this was picked up on by Rosalind and Lewis and also uh, Jessica as well. In terms of um, get, how could that be improved? I mean. It's obviously something of a sort of holy grail, and people often look to places like Japan and South Korea, where you have, you know, huge amounts of industrial R&D and and government researchers working alongside you know, corporate uh, corporations' own R&D teams. And uh, Lewis, I mean, you were in Bays for a while. I mean, how would you, you know, what's what's the what's the uh, the missing link in terms of getting upping that that collaboration Um, we don't have those huge corporations like you know uh huawei we don't have um samsung or mitsubishi what could we do to 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 get that that coordination that other countries seem to have seem to have that we don't
2: thanks jack um yeah it's a great question um so first of all, I'd just like to say I really agree with uh, what Jo and Jessica were saying about you need to sort of keep it up on the 2.4% front uh, so we can't let uh, you know, the budget negotiations, etc., cetera, be the funding gap. We have to remember we're still currently below the European average in terms of R&D funding, both in the UK and in Ireland. Um, and although we've got these fantastic commitments, um, you know, this, the competitive spending review, when it comes, will be a really important moment uh, and absolutely can't afford um, uh, to be uh, you know, undercutting certain budgets to support other budgets need to stay on track. Um, But really the question of coordination. Um, I think, you know, having been a bit involved in it, I think the 2017 industrial strategy was quite a good example of where uh, we started to do some of that. For instance, around artificial intelligence, uh, joining up some of the conversations around R&D focus, skills across the board, applications, government lead customer, the ethical and social dimensions. Uh, More recently, um, I think there's been a big focus on Quantum technologies, which feels like a good place to focus, um, but it's important to think—you know—where should we be doubling down, uh, and where are the new areas coming through that we should be looking at in, in more detail? Um, so important to note, I guess, that in recent years, uh, much of the uh, the new funding announcements have been around later stage R and D, uh, for instance, via the Industrial Strategy Challenge Fund, uh, with very clear impact measures and outcomes, uh, which is excellent. And it's perhaps interesting to note that uh, Innovate UK have actually overtaken EPSRC as the biggest funder of physics research, according to our internal work. Um, but it's, it's important to think about that balance um, and to take informed decisions on where the balance should be struck. Uh, clearly, early stage and late stage R&D are all important, um, and we need to uh, take informed choices on uh, where to kind of draw that, draw that line. Um, also, I think important to say this is a broader conversation than just the economics. So it's about what does it mean to be a productive and prosperous society. We're not interested in two point four percent or even three percent for its own sake. Um, we know that more R and D generally leads to uh, more social and economic returns to a nation. But you know, it's not a name in itself. We need to think about what society we're aiming for, aiming um, to create in, in in sort of delivering that investment. Um, and also important to um, recognise that uh, you know, certainly the physics-powered growth that this will support is very broadly spread across the UK and Ireland. Um, uh, and important to note that in Ireland in particular, there's some great developments with a new ministry being established, for instance, that really help uh, the overall case um, for uh, you know, an R&D-powered recovery. Um, as others have mentioned, you know the pandemic has changed the context a little bit. Um, pull through a lot of technological adoption uh, and opportunities for collaboration, um, as well as exacerbating, we have to note, some of the big divides in our society. So how do we build that better in a way that takes the whole country with us? Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, it does need to be genuinely coordinated with thinking and decisions around skills and HE funding. Um, so fantastic to see the big focus on FE and lifelong learning in the Queen's Speech. Um, we've got the auga review mark um, two coming up, which will be a really important moment for HE policy. But I guess I'd question whether we have a sort of full and integrated strategy for education and skills that's totally uh, integrated with our economic ambitions. Um, so I mean, this isn't rocket science. It's not even quantum physics, although it covers all that, obviously. Um, it's complex, but the issues are well understood. It's about creating the right mechanisms to bring together the right evidence and how we can get the biggest bang for our buck economically, engage a broader and more diverse group of people in bring it about, um, create the right international partnerships, partnerships. Um, you know, with, a, with a, a view to what we need technology sovereignty around and where we need to actively partner and have the right public dialogues to ensure this, this funding and technology genuinely builds the society we want to see. And we hope that the, the Deep Tech Commission can be uh, a new voice in that, uh, in that debate and hopefully bring a bit of a broader perspective to that.
1: Okay, thank you. And um, Rosalind, could you just touch on the issue of uh, collaboration because you, you've, uh, you've raised that. Yeah, I'm
3: happy to. I think what's very important, and Lewis draw, uh, draws on this too, is that we don't want the UK to become an ideas factory where ideas are generated and then the benefits are exported um, and exploited elsewhere. Um, and I think there are a number of steps the government can take to help with this. I think one is, is the need for a clear, a clear champion. We've seen that obviously with Bayes, the industrial strategy, Um, was very much a base-led strategy and it had very very good cross-cutting applications. The plan for growth has now shifted to Treasury um, and there needs to be a clear champion of this kind of economic refocus um, within within government that that needs a clear source. I think on the point of collaboration, um, one of the things that came up very strongly in our task force was the need for prioritisation and that the government has a clearer role to play in that. We've seen in the pandemic that universities and businesses have collaborated tremendously um, around many different areas um, and with tremendous agility. And it's how we can take some lessons that have been learned through this crisis and apply them to other crises or indeed commercial opportunities that are there. Um, But if the UK spreads itself too thinly across many, many domains, some of these areas where we might not just be able to generate some great ideas, but also pull them through might well be missed. So I think that's another sort of important area for us to explore is prioritisation. And, and just finally, and I think this is also you know, a point that we often sort of miss when we talk about these, these areas, is also the importance of communication and promotion policies. We often talk about how policies can be introduced to make the UK, for example, a more positive place to be investing in R&D, and, and particularly some measures that, that the government could take or Um, approaches that universities could take to be um, a more um, a more uh, a better environment for that investment but there's also something about communicating the UK as a very good place to do R&D because it is in in many many ways so how can we harness national data to really shout about our national strengths but also the strengths that we have in different places in
1: the UK. That's a really that's a really interesting question and The KEF was a sort of an attempt to do that, but it sort of uh, it went a little bit under the radar, even in the HE community. So maybe there's another way to do that. Um, Jessica, I'd like um, maybe could you sort of broaden um, broaden out a bit, talk about collaboration, but I'd also like to talk about um, allocation of research funding and. And uh, Lewis mentioned how it sort of shifted a bit, Innovate UK is now awarding more money for physics than the uh, Research Council that normally did so. Would you like to see a more fundamental uh, restructuring of uh, research spending uh, and allocation and perhaps maybe more money for the regions as well? Yeah,
4: so... I, this is a very cool. I mean, one of the things I was going to say in the, the beginning of, of our, our, our session was um, there's something about you know the R and D roadmap is about um, nurturing and developing the the, the whole ecosystem, and um, you know that's one of the things that I probably pick out as being one of the the most important. It's incredibly complex, and it is literally a dynamic system. You you sort of do something in one bit of it and the repercussions will be felt um, in an unintended way, perhaps, somewhere else. So we have to be very careful about saying pick one area or drive things into one direction because you don't really know what part of that very complex set of things that make this wonderful, rich, productive, effective, but could be so much more system for the future delivering the objectives that are, are, are intended Um, So I I worry if we rush to think the answer lies in one place when we've actually got to sort of nurture the whole and shift it carefully. One of the good things about the formation of UKRI, of which Innovate UK is a component, um, is that we do, for the first time, have, in theory, that system steward, um, a kind of coordinating oversight of... um, not all not the entire ecosystem but a very large chunk of it from the qr underpinning that research england offers which creates the sort of substrate on which all the other things kind of you know stand through to the sort of work that innovate uk do which is you know really draw in that collaborative working with industry and academia and the innovation end of things um, and actually all of it is really really important um and you know I, I, I think, it, yeah, so my message would be about nurturing the whole, but maybe driving it towards slightly different objectives. Uh, certainly we could simplify it because, you know, how, how could any government understand it when there's so many elements and a plethora of schemes in each individual funding body? Um, we've we've got the um, independent review, review of research bureaucracy going on, which I think is a component to this, actually. You know, the money could be spent more productively if we were... Streamlining it, slimming it down, taking out some of the unnecessary barriers and bureaucracies that are are sort of getting in the way a bit. I think so. It's nurturing the whole. I'm sure that's not necessarily the answer you were looking for, but I I think we we kind of have to see it as that very complex, you know, organic um, um, sort of like an organism um, thing, Um, and that that's going to take very careful nurturing. and, you know, just not just pouring the money in at one end and thinking it will come out at the other in the right order or neither following very sort of pet project type approaches, I think. We've got to nurture the whole. But um, picking winners, as Rosin said, and areas of focus to really drive them forward. Um, I'm, I'm sure that is very important to do, to see through great possible developments to conclusions so that we see the benefits of them.
1: Okay. And Joey, maybe you could just pick up on that. What are some of the barriers for industry? Um, Is it too bureaucratic? Is it, is is it, you mentioned some of the confusion and the uncertainty about policy, um, that maybe is stopping Huawei from investing more. What would you like to see? What, what, What are some of the barriers for you? Uh, thank you Jake, for
5: inviting me. well um for Huawei as the example that uh, of course there are some kind of misunderstandings first, uh, between a Chinese company like us and also uh, some of these uh, local community or society uh, so I think a very important thing for us uh, is build the communication channels I mentioned earlier and uh, I think uh, like NCUB and also leading universities uh, have been making a great effort on this. Uh, also, very, uh, we are very essential to see uh, how the government will open the channel with us, talking about the policy makings. Uh, for example, there are rumors at the earlier stage of this year when talking about investment beer, that uh, it could be, you know, further restrictions on the uh, uh, university collaboration or the fundings. So uh, definitely this will bring some uncertainty uh, to our future investment plans. And uh, of course, the third thing is uh, overall strategy. We know that the UK government um, has started reviewing its policy on on both, for example, the industry policy, for example, its AI policy and uh, data policies so how much that the industry, and I'm not naming a particular company, but industry as a whole, can take part into that consultation and uh, provide our understandings to the future development. I think that will be uh, also very important. Thank you.
1: Okay. Um, maybe just, we're, we're sort of getting towards the end uh, of, the, of the session. Maybe I'd just like to ask, um, About that issue of communicating the story of uh, academic and industry collaboration, because obviously we've seen the amazing success of the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine effort, and that's changed, going to change society. And as as uh, restrictions are lifted, Uh, but we've also sort of there's been other efforts like the uh, the CAF to to raise awareness of what the benefits are. I mean, could I ask our panel what, you know, what that what we could do more to sort of show politicians and the public that this is worth investing in and is a a good use of um, £22 billion a year. Um, Lewis, could you have a crack? (laughs) Awesome.
2: Uh, Thanks, Jack. So really good point to spotlight, Uh, you know, the COVID epidemic is clearly really, really challenging for everyone uh, in the world uh, at the moment, Um, but is an example of an unprecedented scientific effort, uh, you know, in the space of a year to uh, develop a vaccine, start rolling it out. Um, That is something that really needs to be celebrated right through from the modelling technologies that allowed the vaccine to be developed so quickly um, through to, you know, the distribution mechanisms that we have that's enabled the rollout to be um, as effective as it has been. Um, I think uh, in terms of communications, there's probably more we can do in certain areas. Um, So the equality, diversity and inclusion agenda is still a massive one uh, in science, particularly um, in physics. Um, It's something that we have a key focus on in the IOP. Uh, So we're currently doing uh, a limitless uh, campaign to raise awareness um, of essentially the the social uh, impacts that physics and science can have uh, and try to attract a broader constituency to, to be interested, to be engaged um, and ultimately to, to become part of the community. Uh, and I think that's something that we're very passionate about. Uh, it's something that, that really, um, as a community, we could do more, more on. And I know it's something that UKRI are taking uh, increasingly uh, big interest in. Um, I also think, uh, you know, fixing it on the very specific, uh, obviously this year we have uh, COP26 way on the horizon. Um, there's some fantastic uh, messages coming out internationally uh, from China, from the US uh, about, uh, you know, the overall commitments. And it's a great opportunity for the UK to, um, to play the host um, and to bring together a really impactful discussion. But it's also a great opportunity to um, really showcase some of the contributions um, that science, physics and other disciplines uh, have had to both understanding, identifying the issue and also in developing the solutions. Um, so, for instance, uh, solar PV, another example of a semiconductor technology uh, underpinned by quantum physics, perhaps underappreciated, not to mention all the fluid dynamics research that goes into wind turbines, you know, heat pumps for decarbonising homes, et cetera, et cetera. There's a huge amount of science technology um, that is providing the solutions that we need uh, to uh, the climate change challenge. Uh, I think making more of those narratives um, uh, is a really big opportunity Um Alok Sharma, COP president, is, of course, a physicist is really engaged with the science community and he understands, at a basic level, some of these contributions. Um, I also think it's a great opportunity. Others have mentioned, um, you know, alongside doing what we need to sustain the system as an organism. We also need to think big um, and think about some of the perhaps more moonshot uh, innovations that um, could really help inspire a broader community and take us to the next level. Uh, And I've been personally really excited by some interesting research that they are doing currently around the economic and technical feasibility of space-based solar power. It's creating a bit of a buzz uh, in the space energy and physics communities. So that's the idea of beaming down gigawatt-scale electricity uh, 24-7 from space via safe uh, radio waves. It's a big, challenging long-term, but I think that's that's the kind of thing that we might uh, seek to add to the debate um, to, to, to really engage people, to create a proper future focus and to create some some big ambitions that might move us forward uh, as a civilization and engage more people, more types of people in the debate.
1: Fantastic, that sounds a uh, fantastic, uh, interesting uh, ideas. Um, uh, Rosalind, could you? What about um, how how could we sort of capitalize on this moment? Um,
3: I mean, I, I think. The UK research really is in the global spotlight. And we've we've always talked about research as being world leading. And I think the UK has over the years become very good at demonstrating the impacts of its research. and It has been a major area of policy focus. I think now we also need to shift so that we can demonstrate the impacts of our innovation activities more clearly. And I think universities know and understand how significantly they contribute to the innovation system. But I don't think we should assume that, that kind of wider policymakers and the government necessarily recognise the very important role that universities play in the system beyond simply de- driving technological advances. So I think there's something about far more clearly articulating specifically what universities bring to the innovation system and then the ben- benefits of that innovation system. And I think it's important to remember as part of that that a lot of the ideas that emerge from universities we require further development and investment by other organisations in order to have real-world applications. And some of that isn't directly within the gift of the university to deliver. So that's another important thing to, to recognise. And I think just finally, Jack, on your question about the opportunities of the pandemic, it's important, of course, also to recognise the challenges caused by the pandemic for the research and innovation community. We're publishing research later this week that shows about 80% of 500 businesses surveyed reporting that their um, research and innovation activities face significant disruption during the pandemic, and of course that's not um, particularly surprising um, given the scale and breadth of lockdown measures. And if we do want businesses to be spending £17.5 billion more by the time we reach 2027, we need to be very mindful of the very challenging conditions, investment conditions, that many businesses are
1: facing at the moment.
3: Thank you
1: very much, Jessica. could I also um, ask you to answer this question, but we've also had a question about how uh, the arts and humanities can sort of play a role in this, because it's often framed as very much a science uh, question. I mean, could you, um, how, how could, uh, how can universities tell this story better and what about arts and humanities as
4: well? Yeah, yeah, it's that, great that, that that question has been put in. Um, so, I, I mean, I think stories and pictures, and we've sort of been talking about that already, but, you know, it, to bring this all to life, we need to tell stories that people can actually, you know, be captivated by. I mean, the AstraZeneca story is a fantastic example, but there there are other ones. Um, and uh, we need to bring people to see things going on or or show it in films and pictures, because that also brings it to life. And um, Nottingham's contribution to COP26, uh, as an example, will be around our, um, the challenges of zero carbon long haul air flight. And how do we need to re- redesign all of the parts of an aeroplane, not just the fact that it might be running on, on, on um, uh, you know, electricity or the equivalent of a battery or whatever it will be in, in 20 or 30 years time is a huge challenge. It's like getting... I'm the man on the moon all over again um, and you know we're actively doing that's at the heart of that innovation cluster I was talking about um, specifically about arts and humanities well um, you know they are at the center of all of this as well um, and um, we've got a very interesting um, re- a- a- a European regional development funding program going on. Which is about um, uh, helping um, small small businesses adopt immersive technologies that are drawn from the creative um, indus- you know, for the creative industries, drawn from arts and humanities, and how to enable them to put them into their businesses alongside um, um, you know, the sort of science and technology developments I've been talking about. Um, so very important, our social scientists um, have been. Um, addressing the inequality and social impacts of COVID in the last year um, and showing Uh, you know all sorts of issues you know the impacts on women um, who who are uh, working class backgrounds and the impacts on them of children in county lines and how there's been an impact that has increased in the last year and so forth so um, yeah absolutely it's across the whole range of disciplines that need to be brought to bear on the challenges that we have and that can be translated into an economic Benefit of one sort or another directly as well. So yeah, we mustn't forget that. And I think there's a real concern that there's an undervaluing of um, arts, humanities, um, creative subjects, as if they're they're not Im- embedded in the use of technology or driving um, um, you know the economy in some way. That they are, and I, I don't know why we've got this sort of you know di- dichotomy opening up a- around all of this. Increasingly. Every graduate will need to work across all of these disciplines, no matter what their founding subject is. Um, it's it, you know we can't we can't separate that. So I, th- I think it's really important that we try and put that at the forefront, um, Jack. So that, that's just a few thoughts.
1: Thank you. That's that's great. Um, and we maybe uh, we're just running out of time, but Charlotte. Have we got time for uh, Joey? Uh, yeah final comments yeah jerry would
5: you like to have the final word Yeah. Uh, yeah sure i think um probably as a leading technology company in the uk and globally we are keen to bring a kind of comprehensive and, and transparency uh, collaboration framework in the uk with the academia uh, so we have as you mentioned investing heavily into the r d uh, over 100 million pounds last year in the UK and employ over 500 staff in the UK. So we are open for collaboration, especially with academic uh, uh, university partners. And uh, uh, also we have supporting programs in 5G IC, IoT, sustainability, and uh, green technologies. So uh, in order to bridge the digital divide and also develop new technology, uh, uh, digital technologies, we believe that the new digital technologies can bring a lasting impact on circular economies. For example, the digital twins to aid a clean and cleaner energy solutions. So uh, our collaborations with academia isn't just focused on R&D. We are also very supportive of the civic universities, like we donate to programs in entrepreneurship uh, to aid the leveling up agenda. We donate devices uh, to address the uh, digital divide, and we support them outreach programs, uh, as you just uh, comment, that we are facing a shortage of uh, STEM students uh, to help the community in which those universities are operating. So uh, we believe strongly that uh, together with uh, the academia, uh, we can bring a robust productivity into the uh, Business and also the economic recovery in uh, post-COVID nineteen.
1: Thank you. Thank you. That's a really good point to finish on, and I think you know there's so many amazing stories that have been highlighted in this session, and I think you know the the jobs and the ideas and the the talent that is being deployed across campuses across the, the UK is one of the one of the great things about that I love hearing about as a as a journalist and it's i'm really looking forward to actually going back to campuses and seeing some of the work that that's happening uh when we are allowed back so thank thank you everyone for your contributions today a really diverse and interesting selection of views Uh, thank you very much for everyone who was watching
0: thanks jack very thought-provoking And as reflected by the panel, collaboration, partnerships and greater investment will play even more of an important role for university research as we move forward. Tackling STEM challenges, the digital divide and ensuring investments are sufficiently accounted for represents one part of the opportunities this provides. Join us next time when we change gears from university labs to gaming arenas when we take a look at the opportunity from the gaming industry. From the emergence of esports to gaming venues like Belong, how important is this media and why should we be taking it more seriously? Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe to the Tech Podcast by Huawei in London.